You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. An old parenting adage says, by the time you know what you're doing, you're out of a job. And we who are parents understand that statement, the urgency that is in that statement, the wisdom that is in that statement. And in Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to see some instruction from the Apostle Paul for Christians as to how parents and children should interact in the home. He's giving us here in Ephesians 6 a snapshot of what a Christian home is to be about, what a Christian home is to look like. So keeping that in mind, look with me in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we are continuing our study line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful epistle, this wonderful letter. Just kind of a heads up as to where we're headed, we're going to... Look at a couple more passages in Ephesians. We're going to take a break for some holiday messages, some Christmas sermons and things of that nature. And then when we get back together in the new year, we're going to start on the Armor of God passage. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare in January and really dig deep into that section as we finish up the book of Ephesians. But this morning, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. When you found your place, I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me. In honor of the reading of God's word. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We had some eager parents this morning dragging their kids out of bed saying, Today's the obedient sermon. Let's go. Get up. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is, for, this is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we need you in this moment. We need you to move in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. To just do a a work in this body of believers. So Father, would you move with power, shine the light of the gospel brightly upon our lives, transform us, Make us more like Jesus. And Lord, the title of this sermon is a prayer request. And the request is simply this. God, give us Christian homes. Well, thank you and praise you for that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. In chapter 5, Paul spends a great amount of time focusing on the difference that the gospel makes in our lives. And the point of chapter 5 is this, Paul says in verse 8, 
He says, now that you are children of light, walk as children of light. Live like it. Let your light shine. In other words, if you're a Christian, we need to show the watching world that Jesus really does make a difference. And we all say to that, amen. But then Paul begins to deal with some specific issues where Christ ought to be making a difference in our lives. One of those being in marriage. We talked about marriage the last couple of weeks, the relationship between the husband and the wife. And as he begins to to, to talk about the home, he goes on to talk about the relationship between children and their parents. He turns the attention fully to the home. And what we learn from this text is that we ought to strive for a certain type of home as Christians. Now, before we get into uh, the, the bulk of the message, you need to understand I'm not a, I'm not a parenting expert by any means. In fact, when uh, I was newly married and became a young pastor, I had no children and four sermons on parenting. Now I have four children and no sermons on parenting. Parenting is humbling, isn't it? We've all got areas in which we need to grow and learn and be changed in. But this passage is not meant to weigh upon us in a way that we feel guilt and shame for our failures. This passage is meant to instruct us, to encourage us, to edify us, to to point us in the right direction so that we might understand even better what it looks like to have a Christian home. So keep that in mind if you look there in your notes. We should strive for homes where children are obedient. Again, this is the obedient sermon. Where children are obedient. Notice what it says there in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The word obey means to hearken to a voice, to open the door when someone knocks. It means that when your parents speak, you are to listen and to respond to what they are saying. And, and notice what it says here in verse 1. Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Obedience to your parents is the right thing to do. Over in Colossians 3.20 it says that obedience is well-pleasing to the Lord. So when, you, when children obey parents, they're pleasing their parents. But even in a greater way, they are pleasing the Lord. We like to, to say around our house, uh, and again, we, we, we sometimes fall short of this standard, but we like to say around the house that, that when mom and dad do something the proper, or say something, the proper response is obedience with a happy heart or instant obedience with a happy heart, knowing that that pleases mom and dad, but it also pleases the Lord. Obedience. The Bible is very, very clear that God puts authorities in our lives for for reason, God gives us authority to, to guide us and to uh, protect us. F- for example, if it weren't for some of the, 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 the authorities in our area, people in this room would drive rather recklessly, right? In a rapid manner. But because there are authorities and there are speed limits and there are people that watch sometimes, it helps us to drive in a safer manner. It helps us to be protected by understanding and obeying 
the law. And in the same way, God gives children parents to, to, to protect them by giving them commandments and expectations that are good for their lives. So children are to obey. And if you're here and, and uh, maybe you're a teenager this morning, you say, okay, okay Pastor Wade, uh, I'm watching the clock. I'm uh, 15, 16, got a couple more years. I'm 18. I'm done with that. I got some, got some troubling news for you. Look at the next verse, verse 2. Honor your father and your mother. Here it is. Even when you leave the home, even though you're not in the daily interaction where you obey your parents, you are called to honor your parents. That's in your notes. Obey and honor. This is a quote from uh, Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. He grounds this, this call to obedience in the Ten Commandments. Where commandment number 5 says that, that we are to honor our father and our mother. To honor means to fix the value of something, to set the price it can to be used in the sense of honoring or revering someone. It, it means that, that children are to recognize the worth of their parents. And, and again, the word honor means much more than obey. To honor parents means to show them respect and love, to care for them as long as they need us, and to seek to bring honor to them by the way that we live our lives. So whether you're in the home or out of the home, if you've got parents, you are called to honor them. In fact, I even believe that even if your parents are deceased, you can honor their memory by living in a way that would make them proud in this life. And so we are called to obey and honor parents. Those are the two commands in verses 1 and 2. But I want you to see the results. What happens when children do this, when we teach our children obedience and, ch and children begin to, to live out obedience in the home, there is a quality and a quantity of life. Now again there in verse 2, he refers to the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 and Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 16. And Paul writes, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. There's a promise attached to the obedience of this commandment. And what is it? Verse 3. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That it may go well with you, that's quality of life. That you may live long in the land, that is quantity of life. These are the results of honoring and obeying parents. Now, of course, of course, you read a verse like this and you think, was well, that true all the time across the board? Of course there are situations uh, that, that don't line up with this text. For example, there may be a young person that lived a, a, a life that, that was obedient, that honored their parents, and they died tragically uh, at a young age. That does not mean they were disobeying this commandment, but, but this commandment means that, that by and large, by and large, if you obey your parents and honor your parents, there will be a blessing in that quality of life, and obedience to your parents means you'll be protected from things that could harm you. So there is, uh, by extension, a, 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 um, a quantity of life. Now again, there are exceptions to this. But by and large, if children obey their parents, they will enjoy this quality 
and quantity of life. Here's what Warren Wiersbe says about this, this passage. This, the, the, this promise does not mean that everyone who died young dishonored his parents. That's not what it means. He, Paul, was stating a principle. When children obey their parents in the Lord, they will escape a good deal of sin and danger and thus avoid the things that could threaten or shorten their lives. But life is not measured only by quantity of time. It is also measured by quality of experience. And here's the, the main takeaway. God enriches the life of the obedient child no matter how long he may live on the earth. Listen, sin always robs us. Sin always robs us. Obedience always enriches us. So there's a quality and a quantity of life. So children, kids, teenagers, when you obey your parents, God uses their authority to protect you from harmful and destructive things. And listen to me. Life is just better when it's not being destroyed by sin. Do you hear what I just said? Life is better when it's not being destroyed by sin. It's just better to live a life like that. So, number one, the first takeaway from this passage is children are called to be obedient. In Christian homes, children are obedient to their parents. Number two, children are encouraged in a Christian home. Children are encouraged. And now we're going to turn the focus to how parents parent. How parents lead their children in the home. Look what it says there in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now when he uses the word fathers there, he does not mean that mothers are not involved. In fact, Proverbs says very clearly that children are to obey their fathers and their mothers. He's just again reiterating the fact that God has placed the role of primary spiritual leadership on the husband. He is called by God to be the primary spiritual leader. And it says here, that fathers, and by extension mothers, when they are parenting in the right way, their children will be encouraged. And look at the negative he uses there to get this point across. Fathers, do not, this is a command, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. That word provoke means to provoke to irritation or resentment. It means to exasperate. And Colossians 3.21 gives us a little bit more light as to what provoking means or exasperating means. In Colossians 3.21, the Bible says that, that parents should not exasperate their children so that they will, listen, not lose heart. That means that parents should not parent in such a way that their children are discouraged and they are losing heart. Parents, and this is in your notes, parents are, are not to act in a manner that will push their children away. Away from what? Away from relationship? Away from the faith? Children are to be encouraged, not discouraged by their parents. Which leads to this question. How do parents do that? What are some ways that are prevalent in which parents exasperate or provoke their children to discouragement, where they are losing heart. Well, this is not an exhaustive list, but these are things I've observed, even in my own life and parenting, and that I've seen. Uh, ways that, that, that parents can exasperate or provoke or discourage their children. 
Number one, conflicting messages. Did you know, parents, that when your children are getting conflicting messages from you, it discourages them? Now, every parent will will share with their children two messages. Message number one is the message from your lips, what you say, how you tell them they ought to act. Message from your lips. The other message is the message from your life, how you actually live. Now watch this, parents. When there is an incongruity between the message of your lips and the message of your life, it discourages children. Because in effect, what you're saying is, what? Do as I say. What's the second part? Not as I do. Do as I say, not as I do. And that's a very troubling thing for a child to process, a teenager to process. That mom and dad expect me to act one way or act a certain way when they are disregarding God's word for their own life. And that's tough. It's tough for a young person to process that. And it's tough for a young person not to want to wanna push back against that and get away from that. Conflicting messages can exasperate or provoke your children to anger and discouragement. Now listen to me. In some way, shape, or form, we're all guilty of that as parents. And, and the, the, the point of the sermon is not to, to lay a guilt or a weight upon you, but it's to get your attention and get my attention to say, how can we make sure that in the home that the message of, the, of our lips and, and the message of our life is coming into greater and greater conformity? We don't want to give mixed messages to our kids. So listen to me. When you give your child a moral directive, you should do this or you should not do this, you need to make sure that there are no great areas of moral neglect in your life. Because again, your kid will wink and say, okay, okay, mom, okay, dad, got it. You're not doing it, but okay. And it's going to be a very natural next step for them to say, They're disregarding the word of God. I think I'll disregard it too. Conflicting messages can exasperate or provoke children. Another one, and this is a big one. Rules without relationship. Rules without relationship. This is the mindset that says, do what I tell you to do. Obey, obey, obey with no pursuit of a a growing fellowship or closeness with your kids. Rules without relationship. That is miserable for a child to experience. Do what I tell you to do, but yet there is no closeness between parents and children. And when it comes to rules without relationship, let me just ask this question, parents. Aren't you glad God doesn't treat us that way? Where God doesn't say, here are the rules, do them, good luck. No, God gives us rules and expectations for our lives and his commandments are good. 1 John 5 says they're not burdensome. God knows us, he made us, and everything he tells us to do is good. 
But God doesn't just throw commands out there and say, do them and sit far back detached with his arms crossed saying, if you don't do it, I'll get you. If you do it, well, good for you. No, God draws near in relationship and he walks with us and he talks with us and he encourages us and he helps us and he never leaves us nor forsakes us. That's how God treats us. So we want to be very, very careful, parents, that we're not, that we're not just throwing out rules my way or the highway without pursuing a growing Relationship with our kids. Rules without relationship discourages children. Here's a third one, and this is maybe a uniquely um, 2022 American thing. Over-directing children's lives. Over-directing children's lives. This is when... You think you absolutely know what's best for your kids and you guide them down that pathway and if they deviate from that pathway, it makes you angry and maybe even affects the relationship. It's you directing their lives, thinking you know what's best, listen, and leaving no room for the Spirit of God to direct their lives. Now, here's what I've seen, and again, I'm not trying to judge anybody, and I, I see these, this in my own life as well, but most of the time, when I see a parent trying to over-direct their children's lives, it's because they're living vicariously through their kids. It's just the truth. They want their children to achieve something or do something because that's what they want to do. And, and, and parents find their identity in their children's achievements. And that's all well and good until your child chooses to do something different or love something different than what you love. If your identity is caught up in that thing you want them to do and they deviate, then you're going to find yourself exasperated as a parent and angry. And it can even, deal, it can even lead to conflict between, uh, between parents and their children. Are our parents to give wise counsel to their children? Yes. Are they to teach their children biblical principles? They can apply them to decision making and, and going different directions in life. Yes. But ultimately, as our kids leave our homes and make their way, they've got to make their own decisions. And the listen, the Spirit of God may tell them something different than what your dream was for their life. Right? Got quiet all of a sudden. And when that happens, when that happens, we pray, we encourage, we speak the word of God over their life. But we've got to release them to follow God's will. Listen, even if you're a little disappointed, because it wasn't your, it wasn't your vision come to fruition. You place them in the good hands of a good God and you trust Him. That's how it's supposed to work. But I'm telling you, I've seen it over direction. I can give you some specifics. I won't do that this morning. But over direction can really, can really drive children away. I'm, I'm tempted to give some illustrations, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. 
Number four, another way that, that parents can discourage their children instead of encourage their children is basing worth on performance. Basing worth on performance where, where we respond one way if they perform and do well and achieve and excel in a different way if they do not. Can, can I just remind you and remind myself this morning that just like you did when you were a child and teenager and young adult, your children are going to have highs and lows. Did anybody in here have highs and lows growing up? Raise your hand if you had highs and lows growing up. I mean, we talk about our, our, the expectations for our kids and we forget about our lives, don't we? My wife, Claire, is great at reminding me of what I was like as a teenager. She'll bring up something and say, okay, you're right, yeah. I struggle too, right? We need to understand that that everyone has highs and lows. And, and whether your kid has a high or a low, they need to know that mom and dad love them, cheering for them. Yes, calling them to achievement, calling them to do their best, calling them to, 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 to uh, achieve things in life. But still, still, however they're doing doesn't affect your love for them and your pride in them. Basing worth on performance can can uh, can drive kids away. I, you know, I, I love sports, and I've I've coached my kids in different sports for years, and I played sports growing up, and and I just I think youth athletics is great for kids, and I and I could just go on and on about that. By the way, sign up for Upward, which is getting ready to start pretty soon, right, Greg? So Upward basketball and cheerleading coming up. Just a little plug, but anyway, I I, I love sports. But I've, I've seen some parents talk to their kids in moments of failure in ways that are just heartbreaking. I mean, dads yelling at their sons because a grounder went between their legs and rolled out into the outfield. Yelling for everybody else. Pitiful, pitiful. And I can give you other examples as well. Listen to me. Let's not fall into the trap of basing our children's worth on their performance. Our children are, are worthy because they're our children. A gift from God. So, let's look at the opposite side of the coin. If exasperation brings discouragement, then the opposite would be what? Encouragement. So the idea here is don't provoke, don't discourage, don't, don't push away. The opposite is encourage them. Now this, this uh, gets to the idea or the, the, the methodology of knowing your kids. And every kid is, is wired differently. It's amazing. I've got four children, how different they all are. And, and we need to understand our kids and what, what, you know, what makes them tick. And whatever it is that makes them tick, we need to try to encourage them in that instead of discourage them. Children are encouraged in a Christian home. Number three. Number three, very quickly. We should strive for homes where children are obedient. Children are encouraged. Children are nourished. Look what it says there in verse four. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. Notice that phrase, bring them up. That's a translation of a Greek word that literally means to nourish. It's the same word used in five, uh, chapter 5, verse 29. Look what it says in verse 5, 29. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. In other words, we know how to take care of ourselves, how to nourish ourselves. And he applied that to Christ nourishing his church, nourishing his followers. And that same word is used here, that parents are to nourish, bring up their kids. This word can to be used for the upbringing of children. Nourish them, rear them, bring them up. I like the way William Hendrickson, the New Testament scholar, translate this, translates this phrase. Bring them up. He translates it, rear them tenderly. I like that. Rear them tenderly. So how does a parent nurture their child? How does a parent bring up their child? Two words. The first is training. Notice what he says there in verse 4. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice that word discipline. It's the word paideia. It's the same word used in 2 Timothy 3.16 that says God's word is profitable for training in righteousness. Same word. It's the idea of, of, of helping someone live a consistent Christian life. That, that's what this word means. So for parents... This means that parents are to provide the environment, direction, and correction to make sure their children are going in the right direction. Parents are to provide the environment, direction, and correction to make sure their children are going in the right direction. We need to be be intentional about training our kids, giving them guidelines for life and living in a way that is, that is healthy, in a way that is holy, in a way that pleases God. Parents are to provide this training. That means you point the right way. It means when they get off the path, you get their attention. That's called discipline. And why do you discipline? Because you're mean? No, you discipline to get them back on the right path, right? You just want to get their attention when they're all off the right path, and then you point them back to the right path. Training, direction, correction, making sure they're going in the right direction, which leads to this question. Hey, know what the right direction is. Well, look what he says back in the text. He says, bring them up in the discipline and, what's it say there? Instruction of the Lord. That's truth. How do you nurture your children? Training and truth. The word instruction there is the word nuthisea. It Listen to this. It literally means to place before the mind, to put things before the mind of your children. It's any word of encouragement or reproof that leads to correct behavior. So we train them with truth. The truth of the word of God. God. Now this implies a couple things. Look there in your notes. and This is where I get really practical for a moment. This implies biblical training that is both spontaneous and structured. Deuteronomy 6 speaks of this. It speaks of training up your children, teaching them that there is one God, and teaching them to love that God with their heart, soul, and, and, and strength. And Deuteronomy 6 says, Parents ought to, in the household... When they're sitting down together in the household, they ought to 
talk about, discuss the Word of God. There ought to be structured discussions and, and, and structured activity to, to teach your children the Word of God. I think this speaks of, of family devotions, talking about the Bible in your home, not just at your church. I think it talks about looking for opportunities to teach specific things to your children from the Word of God, using good resources and tools, uh, using the Bible to train them in truth. It, it speaks of structured teaching, but it also speaks of spontaneous teaching. Because Deuteronomy 6 says, when you're on the way, when you're sitting down, when you're rising up, wherever you're going, apply truth to your children's lives. This means when you're out and about and, uh, and, and you see a teachable moment, you teach them from the Bible how you think about this moment. I can't remember who told me this this past week. It's one of our church members, but uh, they said they were driving down the road and there was um, an ambulance heading to help someone. And their child said, well, shouldn't we pray for them? And their parents like, yeah, yeah, we should. We should do that. And it was a teachable moment that, hey, when there's crisis or emergency or someone is in, in danger, someone's hurt, you pray for them. It's, you, you apply the Word of God to the daily realities of life. Biblical training that is both spontaneous and structured. And by the way, just kind of a quick word to parents, especially parents with younger children. If you're looking for some resources to help you in the home, to teach your kids the Bible, to teach them some, some wonderful biblical truth that applies to their life, come see, uh, come see me, come see Jared, uh, come see uh, Hope or Casey or, or one of our past. Come see us so that we can give you some resources that can help you to teach the Bible in your home. We've got some great resources we can pass on to you. And hey, by the way, since I said something about age-graded ministry... I mentioned our youth minister and children's director and our preschool director. Did you notice they're not mentioned in this text? Did you notice this passage doesn't say anything about a youth minister? Anybody notice that? Or a children's director or preschool? They're not in here. So, so here's the question. Who has the primary responsibility for teaching their children the Bible? Answer? Parents. The children partners. The children, the, the church partners, the church encourages, the church helps, the church subsidizes, but parents have the primary responsibility to teach their children truth. Which leads to number four. What's a Christian home look like? Children are obedient, children are encouraged, children are nourished, and fourth and last, Christ is central. Maybe you missed miss this, but look back in the text. It says there in verse one obey your parents. In the Lord, in the context of your relationship with Christ. And then look what it says in verse 4. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In the context of the Lord and His Word. So notice here that he's talking about a Christian home. A home where Jesus is central. And this principle is more important than anything I've said thus far. Because if Jesus Christ is not the center of your home, you're going to struggle with these other things. But when Jesus Christ is the center, 
this encouragement and training and, and truth begins to just be a part of your daily lives. Christ is to be the center of our homes. Here's what that means. If you want to be a, a young person that is a, a young person that obeys and honors your parents, the most important thing you can do is turn to Jesus and be saved. Be born again because he'll, he'll help you to live this out. If you're a parent called to encourage, not discourage your children, the most important thing you can do is give your life to Jesus and be born again because he'll help you to do it. You can't live this out apart from Christ. Christ is to be the center of our homes. As I was studying this passage, it reminded me of the great hymn. That's the title of this sermon, God Give Us Christian Homes. is written by the Baptist hymn writer B.B. McKinney. wrote some other great hymns as well. But listen to what B.B. McKinney wrote about Christian homes. God give us Christian homes. Homes where the Bible is loved and taught. Homes where the Master's will is sought. Homes crowned with beauty your love has wrought. God give us Christian homes. Homes where the Father is true and strong. Homes that are free from the blight of wrong. Homes that are joyous with love and song. God give us Christian homes. Homes where the mother in caring quest strives to show others your way is best. I love this line. Homes where the Lord is an honored guest. God give us Christian homes. Homes where the children are led to know Christ in his beauty who loves them so. Homes where the altar fires burn and glow. God give us Christian homes. God give us Christian homes. This is the vision that Ephesians 6 verses 1 through 4 casts for our lives. It's a vision cast for our children. A vision cast for our parents. It's a vision of a Christ-honoring home. May God grant it. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.